We're back with another episode of the Out Rock Podcast. Out of the main in John, the day has finally come. Smooth sailing is here. Ultra smooth. Yeah. You know me. There is not probably a bigger Ambrosia fan in the seven seas than myself. Well, maybe there is, but not many. Not that I know of. I, this has been one of those moments where I've been looking forward to since the moment we started this podcast. We're talking to at least one member of Ambrosia today. We are. We are. And, and you know what? The score is three to one on drummers. So I know. Well, I did get a yeah, confirmation that Marcus Miller is requesting to be on the podcast. So oh, he's calling us now. He's calling us. His people called my people. Uh, all, right, all right. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Well, yes. So we did. <laughs> we we got lucky, and this was sort of a last minute deal. Um, Ambrosia, of course, is getting out on the road, yeah. playing a lot of shows, and they've got one coming up in Miami. If you're listening to this uh, from the future, this was back uh, prior to May 15th. Uh, we got hooked up with the founding member and current drummer has been with the band the entire time. Uh, Berlate Drummond. Yeah, it was a red alert we got. You know, uh, red alert, red alert, can you do this interview for us? And, you know, like they say in sports, your greatest ability is often your availability. Ah, and yes. we just happened to be able to scramble this thing together. I felt unprepared, but I, I like the way the conversation went regardless. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of my best ability is just showing up. Right, just as long yeah. as you're there. That's right. You know? Yeah, so we talked uh, through, of course, the concert and the tour that they've got coming up this summer and into the end of the year. Uh, but we, you took us in the Wayback Machine. You could talk right at the As beginning. As I do, yep. Yep, you will do. Well, should we get into it and uh, let the tape roll, as it were? As it were. Okay, here's our interview with Ambrosia's Burley Drummond. Burley, welcome. Hey. Hey, Tom. Hey, John. Hey. Thanks for having me. Another drummer. So we're, we're really outnumbering. We had one bass player so far, and I think we're up to three drummers. So, Well, drummers, you know, they like to talk. Well, we'll have to get Joe <laughs> on uh, in the future. So, <laughs> Yeah, he would love it. Absolutely. He would, he would, he would love it, yes. Well, the uh, specific occasion of our getting a chance to talk to you today is an upcoming show that you, the band has at uh, the, in the Miami area. It is at the Gulfstream Park, and it is called Legends of Yacht Rock. It seems to be, if I'm mistake, not mistaken, promoted in uh, partnership with Yacht Rock Miami, and it's going to feature, obviously, Ambrosia, but uh, Peter Beckett, the voice of player as well, and that is... Sunday, May 15th at 7 p.m. at Gulfstream Park. So, Burley, you excited for the show? Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, the promoter, Kim Riley, is an old friend. So, And she's probably one of the best people in the business, seriously. So it's always a joy to work with her and to play at that venue. Great venue. Yeah, you've played it before, obviously. Um, we noticed you've got some other shows coming up, which we'll get to in a minute. But um, why is Florida such like a a centerpiece of what appears to be your, your touring. I don't know, but every <laughs> night I get on my knees and thank God for Florida. Cause they, uh, I mean, they must, we must play probably 10 shows a year in Florida and uh, God bless them. They, you know, they, they, they keep having us back. So yeah, I mean, if every state did that, we don't, we'd be uh, <laughs> flying high, but Florida is great. Yes. And you've got, um, I know you've had an ongoing tour that some dates before some after and you have different people with you i noticed you've had john ford coley with you but as tom mentioned we've got peter beckett on this one who we interviewed a few months ago now but will uh peter be performing with you at all or is he purely uh support act no we we back peter up 
a while ago, I mean, before at the very before Yacht Rock was even, you know, um, as big as it is now, uh, we were doing something called Ambrosia and Friends, where we would play and we'd have, um, uh, you know, friends, artists come and join us. And, you know, we did everybody, Edgar Winter, Stephen Bishop, Michael McDonald, mm. you name it, you name it. We played with them all. And it was great for us, and I take great pride in our band, Ambrosia, being able to do that, you know, being able to accommodate all these other artists. And and, and it was great because, and, you know, I'll, I'll tend to go on, so you jump in and stop me anytime. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, when in the 70s, when we were all happening, you know, uh, you know not having the hits and so forth, I mean, we were all kind of in our own little worlds. I mean, we would tour with the Doobie Brothers or with Hark or even, uh, um, yeah, you, I mean, you name it. We toured Fleetwood Mac when they were, all, you know, making it. And um, so, but we were all kind of in our own little worlds. You know, you would talk to people, but you wouldn't play so much together. Um, but so now it's so great that, you know, all those that were sharing the stage with these people yeah. and then sharing, you know, their music, like Michael McDonald in particular is amazing. And, um, so it's a highlight for us to play with Michael McDonald or, or, you know, or Stephen Bishop or somebody of that quality. Yeah. So back in the seventies, then you were, as you say, even if you didn't think of it that way, uh, consciously, it was competition. Uh, you were competing for ticket prices, album sales, and all that. Even, but now those same artists have all reached a sort of a almost a community kind of status with each other, right? And you're you're kind of sharing the love amongst each other and touring together and all that stuff. But uh, we should go back to the '70s for a second time and uh, maybe <laughs> work our way forward since Burley uh, took us there. Well, can we just go back to the '70s and just stay? There? I like that idea. <laughs> it, it was a good period, but you know, you 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 nailed it. Uh, it, it was. Uh, it's become a community now of you know where we can share the successes and you know ups and downs that we had and realize that we were all going through the same things. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, so we can celebrate the fact that we're still alive. And we're still able to go on the stage and play these songs, and people still react to them. So it's a it's a pretty good world right now. Hey, John, did you have a question about the way back? Well, machine? I did. I mean, I kind of wanted to chronicle through that. Maybe we'd work our way back forward and kind of culminate with uh, kind of resetting the tour and all that. Um, so the band was formed 1970, according to Wikipedia, which you know we all know that they're always spot on. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. First album 1975 engineered by Alan Parsons, um, had a modest, probably hit on that one. Nice, nice, very nice. Oh, no, that Holding On To Yesterday was our big hit off of Oh, that. that's right. That was the one that went top 20. But, you know, now, I mean, it did, it was in the top 20, but some stations, uh, like in Colorado, we'd go to these stations, of course, you used to do that all the time. You would go to the stations on the road to plug your records. And, uh, and uh, we were really excited one station because we beat out one of these nights by the Eagles. Mm. So we, we were number one in that market. So 
that's what's so funny about the United States is you could be number one in Colorado and number <laughs> 39 in, you know, Texas, you know, so. Uh, I'm looking at my notes here about Nice, Nice, Very Nice, as well as th- that album. It feels like it, there's a prog album. There, it's a prog there's album, prog album. <laughs> but it's not just prog. It feels like it's British-influenced prog. And maybe that's the Alan Parsons connection, why he was involved in it. But I can hear maybe hints of yes and hints of Genesis and things like that. So my question, it was a two-parter, which you've probably been asked many a times. What kind of bands and things were influencing you at the time? And then more specifically, as a drummer, who were you influenced by? Oh, sure. Well, okay, let me set this record straight on Alan Parsons, first of all. He came in to mix the album. Okay. So he mixed the album. He didn't produce the album. Uh, we kind of, it was kind of self-produced and uh, Ambrosia at that time, uh, I have to even go back before we started the album. We were signed to uh, 20th century Fox, uh, 20th century records. And uh, Russ Regan was the head of the label. Russ Regan discovered Elton John and Olivia Newton, John, um, uh, Barry White, uh, a lot of different characters, you know, and Neil Diamond. Um, so he was pretty, had a pretty good ear. So he came out, uh, he asked, he asked us to do some demos for him to listen to, to kind of get a feel for where we were going with our album and help us with the direction. So we did about 60 songs, full demos. I mean, that were record quality. And at that time, Ambrosia did everything from country to R and B to Prague. And Prague was where our heart was at. And singer song. So we're a combination of singer, songwriter, and frog. <laughs> so, uh, but what that resulted in was uh, the prog that we wrote was had melodies and, and songs to it. It wasn't like how fast you could play or how complicated you could play. It was about, you know, writing a little kind of fantasy musical setting to a song. And that's what that's really what Ambrosia was about. And uh, our influences were traffic was a huge influences. I mean, the Beatles, the the Beach Boys, all that stuff. But one thing that really changed the band and uh, really changed it was uh, one night seeing King Crimson at the Whiskey Mm. Go-Go. That changed everything because then it was just like that gave us license to go you know, be as crazy as we wanted to be, like on songs like Mama Frog and, you know, the the real adventurous Right, stuff. right. So, yeah. So uh, Russ Regan came in and heard all these songs, and he he was very complimentary about everything, but he picked three. He picked Nice Nice, uh, Holding On To Yesterday, and Mama Frog. And he goes, I don't, he goes, everything else that you're doing is great. He goes, I have this already. I said, but... These songs, I don't have that. He goes, if you could give me an album of that, you know, and that's what, so that, that was like, yay, let's go, you know. So our first two albums in particular uh, were prog, more prog based. And Alan went on to um, mix and uh, produce the second album, Somewhere I Never Traveled. So he was with us for a couple of records. And now, as far as me personally, everybody in Ambrosia brought uh, their own interests. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, Joe in particular um, was uh, Rolling Stones and singer-songwriter like Jackson Brown. Uh, Dave was um, Beatles. I mean, Paul McCartney in particular, you know, uh, and uh, Chris was the blues. And, uh, you know, like that helped shape something like holding on to yesterday, the kind of bluesy approach. And I was kind of the world beat guy. I was studying with Ala Raka from Ravi Shankar and uh, master drummer from Ghana. And, you know, UCLA was an ethnomusicology major. And so, you know, all that came together uh, to make Ambrosia. Uh, it was kind of all these, everybody had their strengths and their, 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 you know, and they all brought, came together and it all just kind of meshed into becoming what the sound of Ambrosia was. Well, it's, speaking of that sound, so, you know, John and I are hosts of something called a Yacht Rock podcast, right? So we mm-hmm. look back in time, and it's obviously a different perspective, and we see a handful of songs that are outliers from the rest of the Ambrosia catalog. And I'm just wondering if you remember what was happening, in what, how intentional was it when you started to dabble in the sound that we would call today Yacht Rock that didn't obviously exist back then, but you, there's elements of R&B, as you mentioned, there's all these other elements, and then there's the super melodic side of what you do as well. How did that evolve in, in why? Well, okay, when we were doing our first two albums, um, the only way we could survive financially was five nights a week we played one block down the street from the studio at a female gay bar at <laughs> night. That's it. And we did that for years. And it, that was all R and B that, I mean, that was, that's what they wanted to hear. So songs like uh, living on my own biggest part of me, how much I feel you're the only woman uh, dancing by myself. That all came out of, I mean, what you play if you know what you play nightly kind of infiltrates what you write sure. you know and start so that that whole side of ambrosia started to develop and that's probably the biggest impetus for those songs you know coming around um you know i should say that okay like how much i feel that's that was pretty much outside the sound of ambrosia when we did yeah. it i mean but you know, our our feeling was okay. It's a we all realized it was a good song and it was it was a great song. So our feeling was, hey, if the Beatles can do yesterday and uh, and rain or you know, yeah. uh, get, you know, you name it. They, I mean, they could get so far out and yet so far in at the same time that we kind of thought, why can't we? You know, why can't we have? you know, a very pop hit and still be the prog band. So, you know, that's why I want to go back to the seventies. Exactly. Because you can be (laughs) that diverse. Now you do something. It's a hit. They want the very next one to sound just like it. Exactly. And that, I think that's been the death of music to some extent, a death of great artists. I mean, I remember going to festivals and seeing, you know, uh, seeing the monkeys and Jimi Hendrix and Donovan on the same stage, you know, and it's like, it was fantastic, you know? Well, how do we, this is my dream, Burley, <laughs> is to create a Yacht Rock Festival. And it could be two days and we're bringing Kenny and Michael and Chris and the whole lot, you guys, player. Uh, I'm going to leave this up to you, obviously, to coordinate. <laughs> but um, <laughs> wouldn't that be just a dream come true? And then we could all live in the 70s. Well, you, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's 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 an apple waiting to be picked. It's uh, mm-hmm. It should be done. 
I mean, there's the, these cruises. That's probably the closest thing that happens yeah. in that in that uh, in that world. But I've never seen a, a cruise named the Yacht Rock Cruise. I I mean. That, yeah, that's just that's like, be, <laughs> right? Yeah, there it is. There's you know. something that's been overlooked. Yeah. Let me ask you a quick question. Going back to the topic we just broached about the the sound and um, yeah, again, my words are the outliers. So I read somewhere that there was speculation that the album title "One Eighty was a subtle sort of reference, or at least it was inferred to be the band is making a 180 and we're changing directions. Is there any truth to that? And if not, set the record straight, what does 180 refer to? No, it, well, it did come out in January of 1980, but uh, that, that was just by chance. But you're, you're right. It, it was the band thinking that we were going to strive to do kind of a 180. Uh, but in retrospect, uh, I don't know how much of a 180 we did. It's pretty hard to to totally turn you know 180 away from your roots and everything that you've become yeah i still hear some of it in there i do definitely exactly so i think i think um yeah i mean as much as we may have tried i think there's a lot of sounds and feels that you know stayed in there well i wanted to go back to uh your first big hit i had another question lingering about that one the first big hit of course is how much i feel that's Number what I have number three it went to on Billboard Hot 100. Number two on Cashbox. Can you pinpoint the moment, whether it was during the songwriting, during the sort of working up the arrangement, during the mix, or not till it was out on the radio? Can you pinpoint the moment when you realized you had that thing, that zinger that was just going to launch? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm pretty much when we started recording it mm. when we started recording it and we were hearing it back we were realizing uh this this is probably going to do pretty well um you know we we you know we had some misgivings about it whether this was a direction we should go but then the argument won out we wrote it we played it yeah you know why would we give it away we're glad I mean, you did why don't we just do it? yeah <laughs> so yeah so uh we did it and um and we, you know, we we got uh, some not some not some good uh, uh, critiques about it too, because at that time, you know, there was FM and AM, and uh, you know, the hits were on AM. So how much I feel was on AM, and but the FM stations were the first to really embrace us mm. because you know we were doing the prog and we were doing you know we were America's answer to. Yes, and uh, King Crimson, Gentle Giant, and all that stuff. So we'd go to these, we'd put out How Much I Feel, and even though Life Beyond L.A. was on the same album, you know, we'd, we'd go to these stations, and they'd go, you've deserted us, you traitors, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's kind of like, oh, come on, you know, you know, we're just, we're just doing, yeah. you know, the best music we can. So, but nowadays, it's so funny, because, Nowadays, we do How Much I Feel, and we do uh, 
the brunt or somewhere I never traveled or nice, nice. And it all seems to work together. Yeah, right. It's like, it's like, it's like really, what was the big deal all about, you know? But, um, so I guess yeah. time heals everything. It does. Yeah. And you had then two other massive hits, of course, on the 180 album that Tom was referencing. Was there any, whether it was self-made internal pressure or uh, record label pressure to recreate sort of how much I feel? How much pressure was on you, like I say, whether it was self-made or label-made, that you had to do it again? Uh, well, yes, you do feel it. Um, I mean, even if it's unspoken by the label, you know, you know, you know they want it, mm -hmm. you know, because – you know, they're, they're putting all this money into the budget. They want to reclaim their money, you know? So yeah, there was a certain amount of pressure, but, uh, you know, we still did it anyway. <laughs> I'm curious from my perspective, cause I was, um, how do I put this without sounding, uh, well, I'll just say it. I was too young to listen to deep cuts, uh, in the seventies. So my exposure to ambrosia was more so happening in modern day in remembering the hits. Oh, I remember that song. I remember that song. And they're so nostalgic for me. And then I go and explore the rest of the catalog. I'm kind of doing it backwards, right? So I, I get drawn in with the hits and now I'm discovering all this wonderful prog. And to me, it's, it, it's pure joy to get to go through the entire catalog. I'm curious as you're doing these live shows, like the one you have coming up Sunday and the rest of your tour, they're sort of being billed as Yacht Rock shows, right? And um, how much of the broader catalog do you play? And what's the reception from the audience that's coming there for Yacht Rock? Well, it is, uh, it's a surprising reception because uh, like, like you, a lot of people are coming for the hits, especially uh, when it's billed as a Yacht Rock or something like that. But, uh, we've had nothing but good reactions to, and we get comments all the time. Like I didn't know, you mm -hmm. know, I didn't know you guys did all that. And now I want to go get those albums and stuff like that. So I, I think it's important for Ambrosia to do the, the prog side. And I, Prague is a little bit misleading. I just call the, the musical side or the, the, the more musically adventurous yeah, side. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Uh, because I, you know, uh, I think it is, worthy definitely and uh you know uh you know i think a radio can almost make anything a hit by repetition mm -hmm. you yeah, know yeah. uh so it's like if you hear something you know uh if you hear something in the course of your lifetime a thousand times you know you're probably gonna it's probably gonna register as something that was was a hit yeah, I mean, you know, Roundabout is was a prog your... tune, but it was a big hit, too. So it was a perfect example. Yeah, you know? there you go. There you go. Now, w when you got into the 80s, um, you started carrying two keyboard players at one point, And I noticed that eventually, for a period of time, it was Bruce Hornsby. I'd love to know how that came about. Well, okay. Um, so after we did, I think, the album Rhode Island, I believe, uh, there, was a, there was a period... Uh, where uh, one of our keyboard players, David David Cutler Lewis, who uh, went on to join a band called Shadow Facts, um, uh, Ambrosia was 
Ambrosia had finished the album and we were kind of in this period where we were waiting to see uh, if we were going to be able to tour on the album and what the reactions were going to be. And, um, and David Cutler Lewis hooked up with Shadow Facts and, you know, which went on to win a Grammy doing that. Uh, and so in the interim, uh, we had befriended uh, Bruce Hornsby and he had come to Los Angeles to try to make his career. Uh, he had yet to have success and, so, you know, he's sleeping on everybody's floors and stuff like that. And um, so he played in the band. Yeah. And uh, man, he, uh, he Ambrosia eventually, I mean, he was with us for maybe, maybe a year almost, not quite. And uh, and Ambrosia kind of took a break at that point because our, our business, uh, our contracts, everything was so bad that, you know, everybody was making money except Ambrosia. So, uh, so we basically stopped. Uh, and you know to air out and it was you know that's another story it was the best thing that ever happened to me because i met my wife you know we started a family all those things all those things that are hard to do when you're on the road 200 days out of the year or whatever so yeah but bruce uh was has become one of the biggest influences on, on me musically without a doubt um just his um his his desire to become the best musician mm. and, and writer possible and what he'll do to do that. He'll, he'll shine on, he, he'll turn away from commercial success just to have uh, musical success uh, in his own mind. So uh, I'm not putting down commercial success. I'm just saying somebody that, you know, treats his, respects his uh, profession or respects his art to the point of doing that. So, John, forgive me, but I'm going to jump ahead to present day and then we can hop around a little bit because since we're talking about some band members, I thought we'd go through the lineup and you can educate people who don't know about some of the newer players. Sure. Um, three original members, yourself on drums, Joe Puerta on bass, and Christopher North was uh, a founding member, correct? On yes, keyboards? he was. Yes, he was. And then we've got some new players. Um, I want to end with Kip, but let's start with Mary Harris on keyboards because she has an interesting career herself. Yes, Mary. Uh, well, Mary's my wife. I don't know if you know that. I did know that. And That's she, why I wanted to start there. Yeah, and, she, and, she, and she's my keeper on the road. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so Mary, uh, well, she came from a small town called Three Rivers, which is in uh, the foothills of the Sequoia National Forest. And she was kind of a local star there, but she came to LA to uh, to start her, you know, bigger career, and uh, she did amazingly well. She was in an all-girl band called Red Shoes that did well, and then she uh, uh, toured with uh, Jimmy Buffett for years. Mm -hmm. She became his vocal arranger, arranged the vocals on his album. Uh, then she uh, hooked up with Animal Logic with uh, uh, Debbie. Uh, I forget her last name, but uh, the, the main singer, Debbie, Debbie Holland and the Animal Logic. And then um, when, Ambrosia, when Ambrosia started reforming and coming back, my wife's correcting me as we, I talk here. Uh, <laughs> she could get yeah, on the podcast too, to have her step into frame. Yeah. Well, okay, Mary, you want to come talk a bit? No, she's, she's uh, getting ready for the gig. All right. Okay, hey, good. But uh, so, so, yes, I'm sorry. So, um, yeah, yeah. So she toured with with Jimmy Buffett. In, yeah, Michael. She did Michael DeBar, all kinds of all kinds of artists. Bill Champlin. Yeah, Bill. So her and I both play with Bill Champlin, uh, and that's an education. I call him the professor 
because he is. We've taken the course. Oh yeah, we actually took the course a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now. Yeah, one of my favorite people. Yeah. He's amazing. Well, his definition uh, of West Coast AOR, by the way, is a little bit of pop, a little bit of rock, a little bit of R and B, and a little bit education. Yep. So <laughs> Adult chords. Luther yeah. says, yeah. 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 Well, he, he's great. So, but so when, when Ambrosia started reforming, uh, and, um, we, you know, we'd be lacking a member from here. We like, we'd either be lacking a voice or we'd be lacking a keyboard player or even a lead vocalist at times. And Mary is, I mean, to me, I mean, I may sound prejudiced, but she's one of the best musicians I've ever known. She could, she could step in and fill any role. Uh, and, um, so eventually she just ended up being in the band and she's kind of, she is indispensable now. She's kind of the the core rhythm section and great soloist, great singer, great harmonizer. So yeah. Yeah. The utility player that finally gets a start, you know, and then you can't get them out of the lineup. There you go. There you go. And, uh, yeah. (laughs) And we, we have another, uh, Douglas Jackson plays guitar and he's, just a brilliant, uh, brilliant guitar player out of Texas through Colorado. Uh, you know, was doing a lot of kind of fusion-y playing, but can play anything. You know, great player. Well, and I'm looking at his website, and it says he has worked with the likes of Kenny Loggins, Michael McDonald, Dave Mason, L. Stewart, Gary Wright, Edgar Winter, worked with Abe Laboreal, Jeff Beccaro, uh, Jimmy Earl, Dean Parks, obviously Ambrosia. This guy has the yeah. yacht. Well, that's just showing off, Does isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, if you of, can do it, do it. A lot of those artists he mentioned are, you know, are artists that played with Ambrosia. So that's how he yep. played with them. So, gotcha. Yeah, but it, it's still it's credit. You know, it's good credit. And then tell us about Kip Lennon on lead vocal. Okay. Well, Kip, um, Kip comes from this amazing family, this standard in the entertainment business called the Lennon sisters are his actual sisters. Mm. Uh, the Lennon sisters that you just used to see on Lawrence Welk and everything back oh in the gosh. day. He is the youngest of 13 <laughs> children and they are the four oldest of oh the my. 13 children. So, and <laughs> so it's, it's a just insane family of music. And most of them are musicians and uh, are musically talented. So, and he has his own band called Venice, which is a really, really good band. Um, so, yeah, we're, I mean, it's a pleasure to have him. But I have to say that on this show we're doing Sunday. Can I go there? Uh, sure. Yeah, okay. On the show we're doing Sunday in Hallandale, we are really fortunate to have uh, one of our former singers with us, uh, Shem Von Schreck. And Shem is the wonderkin uh he's played with Don Felder, uh Christopher Cross, Kenny Loggins. He just finished being the bass player and high, you know, a background singer for Toto. Oh. So and you know, and he played with us for years and years and years. And he's finally realized we're the best gig he could have. So he came back. Well, no. of course. No. <laughs> Those bass lines that, you know, too bad he, uh, you know, Joe's going to hog the bass probably though, but still. he's Yeah, but he's an amazing singer and he plays acoustic acoustic guitar. And he'll be singing with us on that show. So, yeah. And then does Peter get up on stage with you or do you get up on stage and do a whole set with Peter? How does that work? No, no. So we'll do a, uh, typically what we do with artists like Peter or John Ford Coley or, you know, you name uh, we'll do our show and then we'll bring them up as a special guest and, uh, and then we'll back them up 
because nobody does it better. And then we'll back them up and uh, yeah, and they'll come join us for an encore or something like that. But it's great. That sounds like a blast. Yeah, it is. Well, where are you guys based? Miami or where? Detroit. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the closest you're getting to us is... Grand Rapids uh, in the summer. Oh, yeah. Oh, New Haven. I'm going to make Grand that Haven. somehow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, great. Great. Can I ask one more old question, Tom? Well, you are an old person, so go ahead. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I know we are jumping around, but um, I guess this kind of loops back to your... If we want to call... Because... Prague is the only word I know how to use. So we're going to go back to that just for the sake of, you know, simplicity. Rhode Island, sure. the Rhode Island album, James Guthrie in as producer. Um, yes. He, Pink Floyd, The Wall, uh, Final Cut, stuff like that. Definitely a Prague cret uh, guy. What was the process or the decision making that made you decide to go in a new direction? Sonically, it's different. Obviously, that's part of what you brought James in to do. What was the process of making that album? Well, okay, that's kind of a strange story. So um, when we were at Warner Brothers and we had, you know, we were riding high on the 180 album, having all these hits, uh, one of the main guys from Warner Brothers had, took us out to dinner. Um, I'm having trouble thinking of his name, but it'll come. Uh, and during the course of the conversation, he goes, uh, you know, you guys, he goes, uh, I appreciate you having these hits, but he goes, I was the one that brought you to Warner Brothers and I wanted you to do the progressive stuff. You know, so we're sitting there. Well, why didn't anybody tell us? <laughs> three you know? albums later. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, yeah. So, uh, so you know, we thought, okay, let's let's uh, let's go back. Yeah. You know, License I mean, let's, I mean, let yeah, let's see, let's see what you know what what's left in that uh, in that you know. So we went back and uh, and we we kind of made an effort to kind of you know. Uh, rock it up a bit, Indeed. you know, take it a little further out. And, uh, and I think it's a great album. Um, but when it came, when it came to Warner brothers, by the way, that guy, uh, that guy passed away before the album oh. was delivered. Oh, wow. So, so it goes to Warner brothers and the powers that be at Warner Bros. goes, what's this? <laughs> you know, where's biggest part in Where's where's you're the only woman? Yeah. And we're going well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I I really think though on that album, uh, how can you love me? Should have been should have been put out as a single. I thought it, I thought it was a hit record myself. Yeah, didn't someone just send us that song, Tom? I think that's the one that's uh, yeah, did. exactly. Well, that's that's the one that has Bruce Hornsby uh, uh, in the video. Cool. So, um, so yeah, so you got what I would consider a national tour plan this summer. Right, you're all over the states, everywhere from Michigan to California, Utah. Um, do you ever get out of the U.S.? Does Peter try to drag you across to Europe, or any plans to do that? Uh, no, we don't have anything at the at the moment. Um, and we play ninety percent of what we play is in the United States. We have a guy that brings us to uh, Saint Martin or Saint Martin in Ecuador. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we we have gone to the Philippines several times. We have done Japan several times. Um, but no, we're pretty we're pretty much an exclusive United States band. Which um, Canada, we did a lot of Canada. 
But um, we would love to. We would love to tour more internationally for sure. Uh, we we were kind of an underground hit in Europe when we came out, especially the Prague. The Prague was bigger in Europe than the hits were. So, you know, uh, I did several albums over there in Europe for other artists, and I mean, they were in awe of the uh, of the Prague material. I mean. They hardly mention the hits, you know. John, you have it. I had a couple questions that I've been dying to ask anyone from Ambrosia. So this is a thrill and an honor. Thank you for being on the show again. Um, but one is going back to you organizing the sort of tour because of the resurgence of what we now call yacht rock. Do you or the guys in the band can you pinpoint a time where you started to notice this resurgence and thought? What, what's happening? Like, how did this all come back to you? Because if you go back 15 years, I don't think you're playing the amount of shows that you're playing and maybe I'm wrong, but was there a moment where you guys started to take notice that this is, this is happening? Oh, definitely. I mean, definitely. Um, it's probably been going on at least for the last five years and maybe even longer. I mean, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's funny. And I, I attribute to it. I think that was a period uh, of great songwriting. Um, you know, where, where people could relate to the, not only um, the commerciality of it, but, but, you know, at, like Bill Chaplin said, the, the writing was at a, an all time high and, you know, musically, you know, verses, choruses, bridge, bridges, you know, like real song structure, you know, great artists, you know, like Michael McDonald, Kenny Loggins, you know, Ambrosia. I mean, they were, you know, they were, they were good. You know, uh, and and not only good, but they were good uh, ensemble too, where they could go out and play and uh, they didn't have to rely on tracks or auto tunes or yeah. anything like that. They were the real deal. They could go play it. And I think I think it just it's a the quality of it. And um, it's something that uh, will last. Uh, I mean, I, I'm delighted that it has come back because it's giving is given Ambrosia a whole new um, audience, um, you know, 30 year olds with sailor hats on and, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and they're all shit faced, but they know every lyric, you know? So well, my, like, uh, my kids are teenagers pearly or in uh, they absolutely adore yacht rock. They, they love Ambrosia. They know how much I love Ambrosia, but the reason I find that interesting is because of what you just said. It's a type of music in a sophistication and complexity that isn't done anymore. So for when they hear a song and they like it, they like it. There's no nostalgia predisposing them to like it. Like there might be for right. me, they just love it because they don't hear anything like that. And this gives me hope that there could be not only the resurgence of everything you did, but newer artists like, you know, young gun, silver Fox and state cows and John's wearing his shirt. He's got a band called page 99 influenced by this, yep. um, that maybe newer artists will pick this torch back up and relight it for future generations. Well, that'd be nice. I mean, I don't mean to say there aren't great artists out there today. I think there's some phenomenal, my, my, my son and my daughter are always presenting me with amazing, amazing artists, you know? Um, so I think, I think music is in a healthy state. I, maybe not what we're hearing on the radio all the time, but you know, I think good music will rise We'll get it. Yeah. We'll get noticed. You know, I hope, I hope so. Well, I have one more drummer question. So, uh, okay. <laughs> sure, man. I, I got my rototoms back there. So I, that, that's my main instrument is drums. So, uh, um, I, I love rototoms. Yeah. Yeah. 
you say you've had to you've had other artists play with you and you become the support band or the backing band for them, whether it be Champlin or John Forcoli or whatever. Have you been ever in a situation where you were forced to have to learn and master the Purdy Shuffle? Oh, well, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, well, Joe and I uh, had to play with uh, uh, we had to be the rhythm section for Toto on a gig. Well, there you go. For a benefit, yeah. for a benefit you know, so. But that, uh, you know, that it, it's a it's a rite of passage for every drummer. You have to. You, I haven't made it. Yet. You have. Yeah, you have to play the pretty shuffle. I know. I know. When was that, Burley? When were you uh, the uh, Toto's rhythm section? Well, it was just a it was a one off, uh, and it was maybe four or five years ago. Yeah, we had. Uh, you know, they, they couldn't fly their their rhythm section out, and we were on the same benefit with them. So they asked us, you know, could could Joe and Burley just play these, you know, four or five songs with us? So, yeah. wow, it was an honor. I will say, yeah. yeah. Hey, John, was it Tristan Bowden that pulled the mid song "Bait and Switch" with Jeff Picaro back in the day? Yes, he did. Yeah, I hold the line. They managed to do the switch mid song. Oh wow! Wow, <laughs> and nobody yeah. knew. And Lukather turns around, and there's Tristan Bowden playing out the no. tune. He's like, "What's going no, on?" No, I didn't know that. Yeah, and Jeff's up on so, tambourine now. Yeah. We're both great drummers, so great. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Well, see if you can pull that off uh, Sunday <laughs> at the uh, Gulfstream Park uh, in the Miami area, yes, right? Right. Yeah, Hallandale. Yeah, Hallandale. And so their show with uh, Peter Beckett, the voice of yeah. player. Is there anyone else on that bill besides you uh, two? I'm not sure if John Forcoli's on that or not, but um, definitely us and Peter Beckett for sure. Well, I wish I could be there, but we'll have to wait till uh, Michigan. We have two chances in Michigan, I see, on the tour. Oh, so we have Grand Haven, and then we have something else later. So, All right. Uh, great. Well, this was a uh, lot of fun. So glad we could uh, do this on short notice. Thank you to Yacht Rock Miami for setting this up for us. And I guess do a great show, and we wish we were going to be there. Yep. Hey, Tom and John, thank you for having me on your show. It was great. All well, right, come really. back and bring the rest of the gang with you. Okay. I'm sure they'd love to, yeah. Okay, good. All right. Thanks again. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that was pretty pretty good for uh, pulling that together on the fly, the day's notice. Yes, lots of ad libs in there. Hey, that's what live <laughs> podcasting's all about. That's right. That's right. It felt live, but it felt good. Yeah, but if you heard and li- were listening closely, Burley said that uh, the rest of the group would love to come on, so we're going to have him back. Yeah, and as you said, I think uh might have even been last season. Once we have it recorded, we've got that as you know official documentation that it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, this was cool. Uh, great talking to Burley, but I really am impressed with the current lineup. There's some some real talent in this band. The Lennon sisters connection. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, goodness cool. gracious. I wonder how many years separate the youngest child to the oldest. Yeah. I mean, it, well, I know exactly. I could look it up, but geez. Well, how about Mary Harris? Burley's yeah. wife, oh right? So we mentioned some of the artists that she's worked with, but also worked with Stuart Copeland, Stanley Clark, and recorded for Pink Floyd. I mean, I, w- I wonder if she told Stuart Copeland she's the he's the best drummer she knows. <laughs> Hope not. Well, we better move along before yeah. we get into uh, too much trouble. Are you ready to okay. hit uh, a lightning round? I am. Let's do it. All righty. Believe it or not. On short notice, mine is fairly well connected to the subject matter at hand. Yeah, mine is not. But oh. uh, then why don't you kick us off and I'll take us astray. All right. Segment one of the lightning round is the float your boat section, which often involves some manner of uh, us asking each other 
an opinion on the question. Often it's about, does it float your boat? Does it feel yachty to you? But sometimes it uh, has other layers built into it. And this one is a uh, two has the two-layer effect going on, as a matter of fact. Ah, nice. Yesterday, out of nowhere, I started listening to, do you remember that album or band we discovered through Yacht Rock, but is a deep, deep, deep buried treasure, the band called Far Cry? Oh, yeah. Love them. And uh, they they need more listeners. I was on Spotify, and I noticed they only have 259 monthly listeners. And I tell you what, if you're not listening to that Far Cry album, you are missing out. The question I have for you, this is from 1980. The album was produced by Elliot Shiner, mastered by Bob Ludwig, so you know it sounds good. The song I want to bring out is one called The One and Only. And as we get to the chorus, I want to ask you two questions. The one is, does it float your boat? The second is... Does this sound like it could have been a long-lost Ambrosia track? Here it goes. I would say maybe not to the first, but most definitely to the second part. So I don't know that it floats my boat. I'm guessing I'm eh, probably not, but it does sound like a long lost Ambrosia <laughs> tune. Yeah, which of course that was the more interesting part of the question. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, you done good on that one. So Thank I'm going to thank you. I'm I'm going to do bad. Okay. I know this song is not yacht rock. Okay, well, there we go. This part's over. <laughs> We're on to buried treasures. <laughs> I know that I will take slings and arrows for even putting this song on a Yacht Rock podcast. Oh, no, not Duran Duran again. I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, no. I just play a little of the song. It's got some roads in it. It's got a sax solo. The sax is featured prominently. It's an East Coast artist, which you may have heard of. I'm just trying to figure out, other than that I know it's not, why can't it be? And that is, ready for this? Yes, I'm ready. Billy Joel's Just the Way You Are. I said I love you. That's forever. This I promise from the heart. Mm-hmm. I couldn't love you any better. I love you just the way. Now, I, I know it's not completely. It doesn't even give me the feels. But when you look at all the elements and you've got kind of a little hippity hop groove, you've got the sax, you've got the roads. And, of course, Billy Joel just takes you right off the boat. Yeah. Just well, the voice, groove but. is more, for, it, well, this is not a derogatory term, it's more lazy than it is smooth. You know, it's mm. very, very dragged behind the beat in general. Um the it's certainly sonically that era of his stuff was there. I mean, Steve Kahn was a guitar player for the band at the time. And yep. uh, I think there's a closer one called Rosalinda's eyes. Yes. But that's, I, I can't tell you exactly why not other than to say it doesn't have a bounce as much as it's a slow lumbering sort of groove. Yeah. Yep. No. And again, I'm I'm not even trying to make the argument that it is or should be. It just, I don't know exactly other than if you took the East coast out of it and you took the Billy Joel out of it and it was everything else remained the same. 
I would say maybe it's a production value in nuance away from being Yacht Rock. Uh, yeah, maybe not even a nuance away. I mean, I, it would be almost be a Stephen Bishop tune in that way. I mean, I could hear it yeah. along the lines of on and on, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right, well, well, let me move on to uh, a buried treasure. Okay. I'm going to get closer to the boat because I'm going to reference a band called Sea Level. Uh-oh. Trojan <laughs> alert. Yeah. The whole band name is a Trojan <laughs> yacht. Uh, well, listen, Larry sent this to me. Okay. And he said it has an ambrosia vibe. Oh. So it is relevant. Uh, here's a tune called Living in a Dream. And the reason it's a buried treasure for me is I'd never heard of Sea Level, but the more I listen, the more I like. So here's Living in a Dream. I just used your trick. How so? I just put that in my list. Ah, yes. <laughs> well, that is from a 1978 album called On the Edge. And I'm telling you, the more you explore that sea level catalog, which you should, the more you're going to like it. So I have to thank you formally, listener Larry. I can't stop listening to that really cool hi-hat pattern in there. Oh, really? You don't say, because we brought that up with Burley. We did. Well, check it out. Let me hit that one more time. Just check out the hi-hat pattern. That's like when uh, Burley was saying that, you know, you learn a new pattern and then it becomes the same <laughs> drum beat that you use. Yeah. For, yeah. Hey, well, maybe that's, uh, well, listen to the rest of sea level and tell me if he did that as you well. You gotta have a signature beat though. Don't you? Uh, yeah. Mine's uh, four in the floor. Yeah. Good one. Yep. All, All right. right. Buried treasure. treasure. Uh, yep. I'm going to pull a buried ambrosia tune. What do you think? Ooh, I love it. I mean, it's not super buried. It is from the uh, Life Beyond LA album, 1978. So they were hitting it big at this point. Uh, they obviously had um, how much I feel was exploding. But one of the ones that really caught my attention once I started listening beyond that was the song called If Heaven Could Find Me. You're Well, yes, I love that tune. Um, it turns out I went to do my trick, as you called it, and it's already in my playlist. Good man. So I already went Ambrosia deep diving. All right. Huh? Then uh, well, that only leaves us with the final chapter, which is yes. off the map. Off the map. If, if yours is super Ambrosia tied, I'm going to take cuts because mine's not. Well, mine has an uh, Ambrosia connection. So okay. I'm still going to go first. Okay, good. So the reason is because I was uh, actually sitting outside having lunch today, and up in this part of the world, we're finally getting weather where we can actually do that. So sitting yes. outside, I had my little uh, USB speaker going, the entirety of the David Sanborn catalog on shuffle. And one came up that I did not know. It's from 2018. He put out a, a sort of a compilation, but it also has some covers, some new covers. The compilation is called This Masquerade because that's one of the songs that he covers. But one of the other city covers 
This is a song, if you recall, Ain't No Sunshine. Oh, yeah. I'm going to play this for you, and let me see if you can identify, without looking, who the vocalist is. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone Only darkness every day Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And this house just ain't no Okay, survey said. Wait, we already did that. I have a guess. Okay, you have a guess. My guess is that sounds like the voice of player Peter Beckett. It is not. Ooh, okay. It is the voice of the police. That is Sting. Ooh. Yes. All right, you tricked me. How does that have anything to do with uh, Ambrosia? Because I was going to do a different song, and then I completely (laughs) changed my mind and did a 180. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You should have gone last. In fact, you should have been... You know, cut after I said, ahoy, you know what? Yeah, I know. Oh, jeez. All right. Well, this makes mine better by comparison. Yeah, I bet. Okay, here's my connection. If I'm not gobsmacked over Ambrosia, who else might I I be uh, heaping adulation and praise upon? Well, there's Player, there's Bill LeBounty, Duran Duran. You said enough. Uh, it is Bill Bounty. Okay. And I'm going off the map because we're going to go to the year 2009. Oh. And uh, much to my delight, not long after I discovered Bill Bounty, I, I, it was soon after that I realized he, he did quite a bit of recording post-Yacht Rock era. So he's got a lot of material. So uh, Back to Your Sky is an album that came out in 2009. And uh, here's – tell me this isn't vintage Bill Bounty, at least in terms of songwriting and vocals. Old Habits. So I'm looking at the little uh, icon or the little thumbnail on Spotify, and there's a what appears to be like a hype sticker on there that maybe is talking about personnel. Is there some big time personnel on this record? Yes. Okay. Uh, we've got David Hungate on bass. Yeah. We've got Larry Carlton on guitar. Mm. Uh, Steve Warner on uh, vocals and a bunch of other stuff, guitar, mm. percussion. Uh, Robbie Dupree on backing vocals. Dang. Yes. And then uh, Danny Parks. Is he related to Dean Parks? Do you know? Boy, I don't know. I don't know Danny but offhand, he, no. He is a session guitar player and okay. uh, fid- fiddler. So anyway, so yeah, I would say so. Yeah, that's an excellent pick. I mean, it sounds from a songwriting and everything perspective, Yachty, other than the fact that it's a 2000s era recording. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I love that album. And there's all kinds of good uh, modern contemporary Bill Bounty for you to go out and discover. All right. Will do. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, another spectacular episode. At least it was spectacular for me because I got to talk to somebody from Ambrosia today. And you yes, didn't. you did. Oh, oh yeah, did you did. Yeah, I did. That's too. right. Yeah. Dang it. But we always have that uh, ongoing problem. Once we reach the end, we don't know how to end it. Oh, I know how to end it. Hmm. Ahoy, Paloy.